This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Shavuot Tov and welcome everybody to another week of Torah Learning on Chai FM and I am your host, Rebetzin Adel Kazilski and together we are learning the book of Genesis. Um, Genesis, yes, where it all began. We're looking at the life of our forefather Abraham, the trials and tribulations and tests that he went through and uh, learning a lot about his faith and about many, many things along the way. We are currently in chapter 18 of Genesis. We're in the Pasha of Aera. And we are really following up now at a point where we're going to go into something quite fascinating. And um, as I was learning and preparing uh, to join you on air, I was thinking how much of what I was reading and learning about is really happening in the world today. And as I go go along with it, I'd love you to uh, let me know if you hold on the, in the same place that I do, you can SMS on 34519. Our studio number is 0101403020. Or if you're into Telegram, it's 0618951019. Don't be shy. Join in on the conversation and uh, let me know what you think. As a revision, we, um, in the last couple of weeks, have been discussing the visitation of three angels that came to visit Abraham when he was uh, trying to heal himself from the bris. The first one was Raphael, and Raphael, as we know, the angel Raphael comes to heal, comes from the word Raphael, medicine, um, to, to heal, and he came to, to, to assist um, Abraham in the and, and give him a blessing and give him a healing for the, the arduous um, difficulty that he went through in terms of brissing himself at the age of 99. And then we had the angel Michal who came to tell Abraham the news to him and to his wife Sarah that the following year um, Sarah was going to give birth to a child and we discussed Sarah's uh, Reaction to it that she laughed, and um, it was a sign that a year later they will have a natural heir to the dynasty that they were um, they, they were they were they were creating, but needed somebody to follow through. Finally, there was the angel Gabriel. Gabriel comes from the word Gavura, and um, he he came to go and and tell Abraham that he's on his way to the place of Stom and Gomorrah to go and destroy them. And we are going to pick up the narrative now um, because we need to actually understand what was going on and why um, the, there was a need to actually go and destroy the place. Like what was, what was happening there? Now, what happened was was that it just said that that Gabriel got up along with the other two who had finished their mission and they set their eyes towards Storm without really saying anything in the the physical narrative about what was to happen. And we're going to pick up on verse seventeen, okay? And we are going to to see what there's a whole um, there's a whole conversation that God says that God has. Um, regarding the, this, this, this impending destruction. The Hashem Amar, God said, 
המכסה אני מאברהם אשר אני עושה. Should I conceal from Abraham what I am about to do? ואברום היוי יהיה לגוי גדול ועצום. אברהם is about to become a great and a mighty nation. ונברחו בו כל גויי הארץ. And through him, through him, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. כי ידעתיף למען אשר יצווה את בניו ואת ביתו אחריו. For I have known him that he will command his children and his household after him. Veshamru derech Hashem la'asot tzedakah u'mishpat. I know that he's going to command his children and his grandchildren that they keep God's way in doing charity and justice. Laman hevi Hashem al-Avraham et asher dibar alav. And God will then achieve for Avraham All that he has spoken. So here you hear God saying, well, I'm about to send an angel to go out and destroy an entire place. It, it should be right that I should tell Abraham about it. So Vayomer Hashem, so he says to, to, um, Abraham, Tsaakat Dom Ve'amora, Ki Rabba Ve'chata'am Ki Kavda Me'od. The outcry of Storm and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so very grave. Erdana ve'ere hakta akata haba'a elai asukala ve'imlo eda'a. Have, I am going to descend and I am going to see, have they done everything implied by this outcry that comes from me? If not, I will know. So here what we are seeing is that God is giving a preface to this destruction, to this what, what is going to happen. And basically what he is saying is that um, he, he's hearing outcry from Storm and Amora, and he's going to go and see if that is legitimately true. Now, This was really a nicety because God had already dispatched Gabriel. By the way, Gabriel is the angel of fire. Okay? And already we know that in the previous parsha of Lech Lecha, um, we are told in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 13, if you'd like to go and have a look, the men of Storm were very wicked and sinful towards God. But nowhere has there been a discussion about how sinful, sinful they, were, they really were. So now we are going to go and try to understand what was negative about them, what was making God so, so upset that, that he was prepared to dispatch an angel to go and destroy it. Now, just as a preface, um, remember that when Abraham had his dispute with his nephew Lot about the grazing fields, he said to Lot, Whichever way you go, I'll go the other way. Choose where you want to go. And the, the, the we're, we're told that he cast his eyes upon the fertile um, land of Storm and Amora. It was unbelievably fertile. It was very rich in natural resources. And Lot decided to go there, which essentially means that this whole story now 
is being told to Avram not only to go and explain why God is going to destroy Sodom and Amorah, but the fact that he now knows that his um, nephew Lot is with him. This is Mystical Text with Abel Kazilski. Right, let's understand what was this sinful situation um, that that has caused God to dispatch Gabriel, the angel of fire, to destroy Stom and Amora. Well, as we mentioned before, it was a very fertile place, and Stom particularly was a very, very wealthy city. And it it was told we were told that it exported gold and precious stones, and that the area in and of itself was so full of resources that its populace, the, the people that lived there, had no financial worries. In fact, we are told in other places no other city were blessed like Stom. However, the rabbis bring four major sins um, that caused God to look down upon them in utter disdain. The first sin involved sexual immorality. So we are told that um, a six-hour journey from Stom, if you traveled six hours out of Stom, there was an oasis there. And these, this oasis had pleasant springs, had beautiful fruit trees. And every July... The surrounding cities, so there really were five cities. There was Stom, there was Gomorrah, there was Adma, Tsevoyim, and Soar. In July, they would all come there for a carnival. And for four days and four nights, there would be eating, there would be drinking, and there would be a lot of partying. And it says, we are told, um, that men and women would go there very much unrestrained, very much without regard to marital status or family relationship. And the four days of partying uh, were seeing things such as incest, homosexuality, adultery, all, all the biggies in the Torah that are looked down upon as degradation of, 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 the, of, of, of humanity and that of the human person. So that was the first thing, that they were very, very steeped in sexual immorality. The second sin is that they didn't allow any traveler to pass through their cities. What did they do? They made an agreement between themselves that no hospitality should be given and that if there was any traveler that was passing through this area, the traveler had to spend the night in the street. They were so cruel about this, we're told, that they even cut the trees around the city down so the birds would not receive any hospitality. That's how ruthless they were. Um, and any, and then they promulgated a law that any um, person offering hospitality or food to a stranger would be burnt alive. That's how callous they were. So we're, 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 we're told a lot more about their lack of hospitality. So, for example, when a poor man would come to the city of Stom, uh, say people would give him some alms, okay? But the way that they were nasty about it is that they would put their name engraved on the coin. 
Why? Because it was against the law for any storekeeper to sell food to a stranger. And what would happen if he did that? He'd eventually die of starvation. So the people would strip the corpse, and then each of them would be able to retrieve back the coin that they gave. And it says then a raffle would be made um, and would be held for the unfortunate stranger's clothing, and a booby prize would include responsibility for the disposable for the disposal of the corpse. Um, in addition, and this is very famous, we are told that the very idea of hospitality was so so um, indigestible for them that they arranged many special beds for strangers, and they put particular people in charge of those beds. And when a stranger would arrive and he, he wanted to rest. He was led to one of these beds. And as soon as he was made comfortable, they would interrupt him. Why? Because if he was tall, they gave him a short bed. And his feet would be cut off to make him fit. And a short person was always stuck into a long bed. And then three people would grab his arms and three, and, and three his legs. And they would stretch him to fit the bed. And then they would just laugh at the at the screams, at the torture that the person was going through. Quite quite reprehensible. Um, we're actually told that once Abraham's servant, his, his faithful, faithful servant, Eliezer, had to pass through Stom, and he knew of this very not nice custom, and um, he told the people that his mother had recently died and that he vowed not to sleep in a bed for 12 months. And this way, he managed to escape um, the whole situation with the beds. Um, they also, also, by the way, had a custom that no stranger would be invited to any celebration or any feast. And if any sodomite would bring um, a guest to such an affair, his clothes would be taken away and he would be sent home naked. So Eliezer knew about this as well. So when he passed through Storm, he would be sent, um, he would make a point of eating at the banquets without being invited. And if someone asked who invited him, he would reply in a loud voice, Oh, it was you that invited me. How could you ask such a question? And obviously others would hear it. The question, the questioner would, would sneak out and hurry home. And so he did that to each, <laughs> each and every single person. Um, whoever inquired, and as a result, he landed up um, eating to his heart's desire whenever he passed through storm with nobody interfering because he just used to tittle-tale on them, and they knew that they uh, were going to be punished if uh, if they were found out, even though it wasn't true. So it was like quite uh, quite clever of him. Now, as I told you, Lot had moved to the city of Stom, and um, we are told in the Midrash that he had a daughter, Pletit, Pletit. She she married a sodomite, and the story is told that one day a poor man passed through and came up to Lot's daughter, Pletit, and asked her for alms, you know, for something to eat. And he said, look, he hadn't eaten in so many days. No one had given him food. And she could see that he was literally close to death. So she had pity on him, and she secretly gave him some food. And being who she was and being raised by her father, who was raised by Abraham, Chesed did, did, did 
filtered down into her genes. She really felt sorry for the guy. So every day when she went to the well, she would bring along some bread and she would leave it for this poor man. And this went on for, for, for quite a while. And the authorities were keeping their eyes on this poor man. You know, they were waiting for him to die of starvation. And seeing him alive and well, they began to suspect that someone was taking care of him. So they launched an investigation to discover who was guilty of this crime. And they put three undercover agents and they, they tailed this poor man to discover, like, what's going on? Who's, who, where's, where's his source of nourishment? And they saw Lot's daughter hiding bread near the well and then signaling him to take it. They arrested her and sentenced her to be burnt alive. And we were told that there was a whole public spectacle about her burning so that people would learn the lesson not to show pity towards strangers. There's another story about a young girl who was once accused of a similar crime to Lot's daughter, and, and she was sentenced to be stripped naked, covered with honey from head to foot, and placed either on an anthill, um, IA for the ants to eat her flesh from her body, or some went and said that it was, they put her on, on, on full of honey, and they stuck her on the roof, and they allowed the bees to attack her. Some commentaries go and say that um, this was actually Lot's daughter Pletit. Nevertheless, any one of these type of stories is actually quite horrific. So, first sin, sexual immorality. Sec second sin, um, the inability to show a kindness and hospitality to people around them. The third sin was the sin of crime and corruption. Let's understand that somewhat more. So, it says that if a wealthy man was traveling through the area that he came into town, what would happen would be that the people would act friendly, they would engage him in conversation, and when they got him away from his, 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 uh, his caravan or whatever have you, they would murder him and they would take all his money. Now, if the merchant had a large caravan and they couldn't find his money, they would then start negotiating with him that could he transport some perfume for them, for example. And they explained that the perfume was extremely valuable, and they asked him to keep the perfume with his valuables. And then what they would do is that they would follow the scent, okay, because the, the, the scent of the perfume was very, very strong. They would attack the caravan, and they would plunder plunder and take everything that was worth something. So they were very much a bunch of gangsters, as we would call it in today's modern time. They also had their own farms. It was, as I told you, it was a very rich place from, uh, of natural resources. They had their own farms and they grew their own produce. And, uh, um, if they say, for example, a strange farmer brought produce to town, each of them would take one or two as a sample and they would pick at his wares until there was nothing left. And when he would complain, they would say, but I only took one onion. What value does it have? And uh, the other guys say, well, well, I also took just one onion. onion. It doesn't have a value. But the bottom line is, is that they ate away at his wares. And if he kept complaining, they threw, they would drive him out of the city. 
There's another story um, that is told of a merchant um, who came into the cities of Stom, and he was he was carrying valuable Tyrian purple wool from Tyre. Okay, and no one would offer him hospitality, and so he understood that he had to camp on the side of the street. And late at night, one of the Sodomites by the name of Hidur approached him, and he said to him, what are you doing out? What are you doing out on the streets or late at night? Come, spend the night with me, and in the morning you'll be able to go on your way. So, of course, he felt a little bit warmed up. This uh, merchant, he was happy to accept the hospitality, and so he came into the house, and he gave this Sodomite by the name of Hidur his purple will for safekeeping. In the morning, it's in the morning. We're told Hidur gave the merchant a fine breakfast, um, saying that he would not think of allowing him to leave without eating. And they started having a schmooze. And out of politeness, the the, the merchant stayed the whole day. And then it was too late to leave, so Hidur said, "Stay another night in his home." The merchant accepted. But the next morning, when the merchant was planning to leave. And he said, thank you to his host. He said, can I have your purple wool? Hedur feigned surprise. He said, what purple wool? You never gave me any such thing. So obviously the merchant said, of course I did. You know, I gave it to you the night before last. It was tied with a rope. It was packed in a neat bum, uh, bundle. And it says that Hedur said, ah, you must have been dreaming. What a pleasant dream. You know what? Let me interpret your dream. Mm, the rope indicates that you will have a long life, just like the rope. You will be healthy and rich, just like the royal purple of Tyre. And he started going on an entire tirade um, about about the dream. And the merchant was obviously beside himself, you know, screaming, what are you trying to do to me? Um, I gave you my will with my own hands. I saw you place it in your safe. And Hedro just carried on acting like a... Like, good for nothing, I don't know anything. He was saying in a very soothing voice, you know, I understand. I understand what you think that you gave me the will. But there's nothing, it's nothing more than of a dream. And, you know, I love you. And therefore, you know what? I've given you such a good interpretation of the dream. In fact, I didn't tell you. I'm a professional dream interpreter. And I normally charge 400 golden coins for a reading. But you know what? I did it free of charge and you didn't appreciate it. And obviously... You can just imagine the the chagrin of the merchant um, at the injustice um, that had taken place. And uh, they had a whole argument. And Hitler went and said, okay, you know what? Let's take the case to court. And, of course, the court was just as corrupt as um, the rest of the Sodomites because it was a Sodomite court. The judges agreed that since the merchant had no receipt, he could not hold Hitler responsible. And even though... You know, the merchant tried to uh, protest uh, this obviously biased decision. He was driven from town into absolute and utter disgrace. Um, furthermore, the way that they promulgated their laws was that it would always favor the rich. For example, there was a law that said that if a person owned a single cow, he would have to tend all the cattle of the city one day a year. But a person who had no cows at all would have to tend the cows for two days. Now, there was a smart aleck there, a young boy. He had no cattle, and so he had to tend the city's livestock for two days. 
So one year he got hutful, as they say. He was in the field. He slaughtered all the cattle and he skinned them. And when the owners came to claim the animals, he announced, he who owns one cow may take one skin. He who owns none may take two skins. Obviously, everybody started shouting at him, um, you know, and protesting. And, and he said, this is no less just than the law you supported, that the owner of one cow must tend the city's cattle for one day, while he who has none must, none must tend them for two days. So this was just the way that they behaved on a, on a, on a consistent matter, manner. It was absolutely horrific, the crime and the corruption um, that, 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 that was happening along the way. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Oh, my dear, we are now on to the fourth sin of the people of Storm. So we've done sexual immorality. We have um, done the lack of hospitali- hospitality. We've spoken about crime and uh, corruption. And fourthly, they were steeped in the sin of murder. Why? Firstly, their warped sense of justice um, in all these cities caused many, many people to be killed um, unjustly. So really what we saw that in many cases, um, it would appear that the, the laws were written in favor of the criminal. Example, say a person beat a pregnant woman and caused her to miscarry. So um, what would happen is that the woman would come to court, you know, and want to prosecute her assailant. What would happen if she filed a complaint? The law required that she should live with the assailant until she became pregnant again, again and that was considered restitution for the, the, the poor woman who was, who was raped. Um, so that just showed you how warped it is. Um, there's another uh, story that we find that once there was a case where a young vandal cut off the ear of the donkey, and when the donkey's owner took the vandal to court, the decision again came out all warped. warped. What did they say? The, dis- the, the judges decided that the vandal should keep the donkey until the ear grew back so he could return it to its owner just as it was originally. Crazy stuff. Absolutely crazy stuff. Now, we know, and I mentioned before, that Eliezer, Abraham's servant, would go through there. And he, he was pretty clever at understanding their, their, their warped behavior and staying away from their beds and, and, and eating the food the way he did. There's another um, occasion where we're told that Sarah once, wanted, uh, once did send Eliezer to give a message to Lot, okay? And when Eliezer walked into the city of Stom, he saw a sodomite beating a traveler, a poor traveler. So Eliezer ran, ran up to the scene and shouted, hey, hey, what are you doing? Don't you have any fear of God? Why are you, why are you beating this poor man for nothing? He's your guest. Show him respect. And in true sodomite colors, the sodomite replies, mind your own business. And who do you think you are anyway? You're a stranger. Um, who appointed you to be our judge? And um, this man is nothing to you. What, what are you, what are you taking him up, taking up for him? And in his absolute anger, the sodomite struck Eliezer in the head with a stone 
and caused him to bleed profusely. Now, Eliezer was a very, very strong man, a very, very powerful one, and he wasn't going to take this lying down. Um, when they saw that even though they had clapped him on the head and he was bleeding and they couldn't beat him, they said, okay, you come to the, to, to, to settle the matter in court. So Eliezer agreed. He goes to court and the, they, they tell the whole story. And of course the judge issues a warped sentence. He says, the man who struck you was a professional bloodletter. Not only does he not owe you anything, in fact, you owe him, you have to pay him a fee. Um, <laughs> and we're told that absolutely enraged, Eliezer took a stone, walked up to the judge's face, bloodied the judge's face, hit him, and he said to the judge, I'm also a professional bloodletter. Now take the fee you owe me and pay it to the one who struck me. <laughs> um, love that. And so you could see that really... The people of Storm were so wicked um, and so corrupt that they deserved to be utterly destroyed. And even now, if they came to a point where they could repent, we're told that they they they, they didn't deserve to to be forgiven. Now, when we're going to look at the punishment that God God wants to meet out on them, okay, you will see that God really, in truth, did have mercy on them. Because these cities, we're told, um, had lost, they were, they were around for 52 years. 25 years before that, they, they were destroyed. God already started sending signs from heaven that they were destined for calamity. What are we told? We're told that great earthquakes shook the area. After the earthquake, a rainbow would be visible. Then God sent torrential rains. And their priests and things were telling them all the time that, you know, they should change their ways, and they didn't. So kind of like when we are looking at this entire thing, you can kind of, in a sense, beg the question. Listen to all the stuff that Storm and Gomorrah practiced. Is there any similarities to the times and places that we live in today? And are we not reading the messages on the wall when you're hearing about the locusts and the sandstorms and the coronaviruses and the earthquakes and the comings and the goings? Surely, surely, if we can see a similarity between the modus operandi and behavior of the people then, surely it would be now. And that's why when we read the initial verses, it says the outcry of Storm and Gomorrah is so great, their sin is so very grave. You know, sometimes you would think, well, you know, you're making a mountain out of a mohill. But the, the Hebrew word that is used is tsa'aka, which is a cry, an outcry. And we're told where God says, I will descend and see he, 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 he was coming down because he actually heard, for example, the screams of Lot's daughter being eaten, eaten, you know, by, by bees or by ants, whatever, whatever the, 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 the cause was. And really and truthfully, if you actually look at it, these things that they were, they were misbehaving in, and misbehaving is a very benign word, that they were perpetuating, are sins against humanity. You don't need to be told by the Torah 
um, you know, you should keep that. It's understood that you don't go and murder another person. It's understood that you shouldn't be sexually immoral and, and go and have incest and commit adultery with other people's spouses. It's understood that you should deal with a court of law and have justice. And the truth of the matter is they didn't understand anything. And really today we see very much the same things um, happening in our society. Um, and it is, it is sad. It is sad. And one can kind of almost contextualize, well, can't go and say, Storm and Gomorrah, they, they were whatever. It was at the beginning of the world that they weren't, they weren't as, as refined and as, uh, you know, as knowledgeable as we are. We actually have pockets of Storm and Gomorrah everywhere. And we are behaving in the same animalistic, uncouth, um, guilty manner that um, gave God all the reasons to annihilate Storm. So that is really, really food for thought. We're just going to go for a quick break. And afterwards, I'd like to end off the show by sharing a heartwarming story, because otherwise we, can, we could get pretty depressed about this. A heartwarming story of where justice was correctly served. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Let's finish off with the story that I heard being told um, by Wawa Jacobson, Rabbi Wawa Jacobson, about a piece of American history that was very, very interesting and that actually struck a, a very deep chord in me. He's told the story about... A New York mayor, which we will all know um, by the name of Mr. LaGuardia, LaGuardia Airport, as we know, named after him. Um, LaGuardia was the mayor in New York during the Depression in the in in, in the the 1930s. Um, he died round about 1942, and this uh, Mr. LaGuardia, I can't remember his first name. Um, he was known as a very very just and compassionate person, and um, he was well-loved in the New York um, area because he led his city in a very fair, um, uh, judicial way with a tremendous amount of compassion. And he was known to take orphans, you know, and feed them, and he was known to take uh, uh, people who never had any fun out ice skating. He was incredible. The story is told that one wintry night, I think it was in January of 1935, he walked into one of the courtrooms, uh, magistrate courtrooms in New York City, um, where uh, the judge was adjudicating, you know, the smaller crimes of society, and he relieved the judge. I don't, I don't know if the judge wasn't well or whatever. He let the judge go home, and he said he would preside over the rest of the cases. And uh, one of the cases that appeared before him was an old lady came. She was, you could see she was tired. She was haggard. She was dressed in very, very poor clothes. And um, she was brought in front of the court together with a, another man who was a storekeeper of a, of a cafe, of a, of a small like 7-Eleven or something in, in the neighborhood. The neighborhood was known to be um, very, very poor. What was the, the problem? The storekeeper had brought this old lady to court because he had caught a shoplifting a loaf of bread. And uh, he wanted justice meted out. 
LaGuardia turned around to the poor woman and asked her, did you or did you not steal the bread? She replied, I did my honor. And he said, um, are you aware that the, the um, penalty for shoplifting is $10 or 10 days in prison? Which, remember, $10 in 1935 was a lot of money. She says, I am aware, Your Honor. So he said to her, can you please tell me the reason as to why you went and stole a loaf of bread? To which she replied, Your Honor, I live together in a small apartment with my daughter, whose husband has abandoned us, and my two grandchildren, myself, my daughter, and my, grand, my two grandchildren. I am, I am too old to go out and find a job. Um, my daughter supplies money for our living expenses, and unfortunately right now she is unemployed and is desperate to look for a job. She was out looking for a job, and my grandchildren were crying profusely, and I needed to feed them. So I went down to the convenience store, and I shoplifted the bread. A heartbreaking story. LaGuardia turns around to the shopkeeper and says, well, what do you say to that? Do you still want to press charges? The shopkeeper replied, I do, Your Honor, not because my heart is not broken for this poor woman and her plight, but if you do not go and punish her, you are setting a precedence. I live in a poor community. That gives permission for everybody to come shoplift because they will all go and say that they're poor and they don't have money, and therefore you're giving them permission to shoplift. Therefore, you know, justice has to take its course, and you have to um, you have to uh, give the woman the punishment. What was the verdict? Unlike the Sodomite uh, court, this is what LaGuardia said. LaGuardia said, agreed. He banged his gavel, uh, gavel down and he said, I hereby impose a $10 fine for shoplifting because shoplifting is inexcusable. He slammed his gavel down again and he stood up in the courtroom, took out his wallet and he gave $10 from himself to his, to the old woman and he said, um, go pay your fine. And then he sat down again, hit his gavel down on the table, and then said to the sheriff of court, and furthermore, I fine every single person in this court 50 cents, because as a community, we need to be responsible for the poverty of our city. Go around to every single person, including the shopkeeper, and collect 50 cents from them, which he did, and a sum of $47.50 was collected, and then he told the sheriff of the court to give that to the poor woman to help sustain her. That is an example of true justice. What was happening in Storm was completely unjust, and they deserved what was coming for them, which we will see now, please God, in the coming week. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. Chodesh Tov, it is Rosh Chodesh Adar, and as we enter into the month of Adar, let's increase in joy. Have a wonderful week.